Well, uh, we have finished Matthew 12. We are starting on chapter 13. This morning, Matthew uh, chapter uh, 13, we're going we're gonna to read the first 17 verses. Uh, and this is the parable of the sower. And let's, well, let's go ahead and read these and I'll tell you kind of what we're going to focus on this morning. So Matthew 13, 1 through 17. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of the earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in, the prop- and in, the, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes... They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time. Father, as we consider the study that we're about to uh, partake in the next several weeks about these parables, Father, we pray uh, that you would give us understanding. Father, we thank you that we have eyes to see and ears to hear. What a blessing that is. And so, Father, we pray that you will be here with us today. We pray that the Holy Spirit will apply your truth to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we are about to study a series of parables. And when you look at chapter 13, uh, chapter 13 of Matthew is the beginning of the third discourse of Matthew's gospel. There are five discourses, sections of the gospel, uh, and this is the third, or the beginning of the third discourse. So what we've been studying over the last couple of weeks is Jesus has performed all sorts of miracles. 
things that have never been seen before. Amazing wonders that have never been seen on the face of the earth. Uh, most of the people were amazed, obviously, of what Jesus was doing. Jesus did have some fear that the people would get the wrong idea about his ministry. We know he's he said that many times. The Pharisees, however, are now plotting to kill him. So that's the that's their plan. Uh, we want based on all these great things he's doing. We need to kill him. Um, the, uh, they asked for a sign. You remember, and Jesus' response was. No sign is going to be given to this old adulterous generation except the sign of Jonah. And then last week we talked about or where Jesus explained what really what family is. Jesus explained us what true family is last week. Uh, and he introduced the doctrine of adoption into God's family. What a beautiful um, doctrine that is about being adopted into God's family. And remember what he said. He says, those who do the will of my Father are my family. And we could say the same thing. Those of us that do the will of our Father in heaven, that's our family. Whether we're blood kin or not, it really doesn't make a difference because that family is the family that we will have for eternity. We'll be together. So, Jesus was preaching. He's in a house. Now He, he leaves immediately from there and He's walking down to the sea uh, at the beach and we see that people follow him so let's look at verses 1 and 2 it says on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore then verse 3a says then he spoke many things to them in parables now this parable, as we call it, the parable of the sower, is the first one that Matthew records. But there are several others that follow. Seven, I think, here uh, in this chapter. The rest of chapter 13 is parables, except for a little bit at the end of 13. So we're going to be in parables for a little while. But that's good. The uh, Dr. Sproul commented that he thinks that this parable, the first one, the parable of the sower, is probably the most important one. I, you know, that's definitely something to pause and think about. This first parable that Jesus introduced is probably the most important one. Now, when you think about parables, what's the first thing you think about? I know it, it for me... Uh, you think about it's the way Jesus used these illustrations maybe uh, to teach. And it's just simply an illustration that he used. But as I have learned, that's a too simple way of looking at it. It's bigger than that. Parables have more depth that we've Jesus has introduced here why he speaks in parables. And there's a lot there. It is more than just a simple illustration. It's more than that. The word literally, the word parable literally means thrown alongside. That's what it means. Literally, thrown alongside. Think of some other terms that you know that use that prefix para. Think of paralegal. Right? Think of para church. Paralegal, somebody who comes alongside 
an attorney, helps them do some of the work. It's a help. Along, they come alongside. Think of para-church organizations. Those are ministry-driven organizations, but they are not the church, but they come alongside the church. You can think of some. Think of para-church organizations that you've been a part of. Uh, some of them do a really good help, but they are not the church. They come alongside the church, if you notice. So since we are going to spend several weeks on parables, today's lesson is going to focus on verses 10 through 17. Because as I've mentioned, we are following Dr. Sproul's commentary and his outline, and he thinks it's important for us to spend some time on answering the question, why parables? And that is the question that the disciples ask, why do you speak to them in parables? And we see Jesus' answer. So for today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Jesus' answer to why parables. So we'll pick up at verse 10. We'll skip the parable. We're going to get to it. But we're going to skip actually the meat of the parable of the sower. And verse 10 it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And that's an honest question, isn't it? It's an honest question. And it was not a question about content. It was a question about methodology. Question of methodology. How someone teaches. That's their particular methodology, right? The way someone teaches. So it's a question about the methodology, not necessarily about the content. And I can imagine, I would agree with uh, commentators that say, the disciples were probably pretty shocked by his answer. We've read his answer. We're going to dig a little deeper into that, but I guess it would shock me too as to Jesus' answer. So let's look at what Jesus answered and said in verses 11 and 13. But he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Well, this room is full of good Presbyterians, right? Most of us anyway. Born and raised Presbyterian. And so, as good Presbyterians, I'm using that term kind of loosely, I hope y'all can laugh a little bit about that, okay? You know, you, do, you remember, um, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to get to heaven, okay? But I wouldn't take a chance. Alright, I'm just saying. I got that from somebody else. I'm sorry. I stole that. I, I, I'm not bright enough to come up with something like that on my own. I heard another pastor say that one time and I loved it. Um, so as good Presbyterians, the first thing we should see here is what? He says, some can understand and some cannot. We see the doctrine of election. So the doctrine of election is what we know and we teach. Not just Presbyterians, all the Reformed folk would hold to the doctrine of election. 
And you know, um, if you struggle with this doctrine, and, it, and if you're in the room and you, and you say you don't struggle with it or you've never struggled with it, you're lying. Okay, because that's a difficult doctrine to really think about. It's difficult because it's things of God. They're very high things. It's difficult to think about. So if you're, if you're one of those who struggle, maybe you struggle with it still now. That's okay. Okay, that's, that's okay that I still don't fully understand it. No, none of us fully understands it. We know what it's about. We know what the doctrine says. But if you still find yourself struggling with it, the first place, my advice, is that you need to start with God. Don't start with yourself because that's where you get in trouble. When you think of the election of the doctrine of election and you start with man, you get in trouble. Okay, you have to start with God first. And more specifically, when you start with God, start with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Study the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. That's where you start. Once you once you get all that figured out, right? When you completely un- no, I'm just kidding. But once you study the sovereignty of God, you know that God controls everything. There's not one thing that happens outside of His control. If there was something that happened outside of His control, He would not be God. Very simple way to put it. After you've studied His sovereignty, then you look at the other attributes. Start with next maybe with His holiness. Study the doctrine of the holiness of God. My friends, you'll never, you can study it for the rest of your life and you'll never get tired of studying that. Okay, you will never get tired of studying the holiness of God. And then His goodness. How He is perfectly holy. There is no sin in Him. He is so perfectly holy that He can't even look at sin. It can't even be in His presence. He can't entertain sin. His his goodness, the fact that He is a holy God, a sovereign God, and a good God who wants to give good things. Man, you you know, so that's where your mind's got to be. That's where your heart's got to be when you're thinking about election. And for those of you who who you're there already, I'm, that's great that you're there. But guess what? There'll be others who struggle and you'll have an opportunity to talk to them about it. And when you do, this is where you start. So after you've studied the attributes and you have considered His holiness and His goodness and His sovereignty, then start studying the doctrine of man. Who is man? What are you like? The Bible teaches us that man is totally depraved. Totally depraved. What what does that even mean? That means man in his natural state is completely sinful. There is not one good thing he can do on his own. And guess what? You don't have to earn it. You're born that way. So, 
the state, okay, God is sovereign. God is holy. God is good. God is merciful. God is gracious. Man is the opposite of all those things. Man in his natural state. How could a creature in that natural state do anything good? Wouldn't it, if to choose God, wouldn't that be something good? That's a good choice, right? Man in his natural state is not capable of making that decision. That, my friends, is a really, really quick overview of election, isn't it? Now, that's the situation, right? The situation is that God is who He is, man is who He is. And so the doctrine of election, or I should say those other things are the foundation of election. And the doctrine of election says, guess what? God knows all these things and He has chosen people for Himself. We call them the elect. Because... There's nothing good in anyone that could choose him. So God had to choose people or nobody would be saved. If God had not elected people to salvation, no one would be saved. Do you see that? Zero. Not one. Now, the critics of election would go to this. There was a how can a God choose not to save somebody? How can he do that? How can he? Because in the doctrine of election is also the doctrine of the reprobate. So the elect are the ones that are saved. The reprobate is the one who's not. And so the Bible teaches us that those are known. They have always been known before the foundation of the world. The elect's names were written in the book of life. Now, again, the critic would say, how can God do that? How can a loving God not save somebody? How can a loving God send somebody to hell? Well, remember, your sins are the reason you go to hell. The sins of the reprobate are the reason why they go to hell. Not because God sent them there. God exercised judgment. You deserved it. So the reprobate is in hell because he deserves it. But instead of focusing on or trying to defend, because critics will come to you and they will, this is what they'll say, how can a loving God do that? And you have to be very careful here. As good reformed Presbyterian folk, don't fall into that trap. Because the amazing thing is not that God chose not to save somebody. The amazing thing is that God chose to save some. That is absolutely amazing. Again, see our previous conversation about who God is and who man, who man is. Now do you see the amazing, beautiful piece of election? In that state, God chose to save some. Wow. Do you see how you have to look at it? You have to look at it in that sense, in the positive sense. So what? it's not what God chose not to do. What did God choose to do? And that truly is amazing. Because again, His holiness, His goodness. God would have been completely justified in sending every person to hell forever. But He chose not to do that. He chose to save some. 
And that is the most amazing thing. That totally depraved state. If you're here today, you're a believer, you're among the elect, your name is written in the book of life, praise be to God that He has done that for you. And He's done it for me. Because in my state, I am not capable of choosing that. So, Jesus introduces this doctrine of election. And so Jesus says, in response to why he speaks in parables, he says, you see, some are permitted to understand the mysteries of God and others are not. Elect reprobate. The elect are permitted to understand the mysteries of God. They are given new hearts and new minds at regeneration. They are able to hear and see the things of God for the first time. The blinders come off. The heart of stone is made into a heart of flesh. It is soft. Instead of repelling the things of God, they hear them and they listen and they understand the things of God. They understand who God is, that He is holy, and then they understand they are not and they come pleading for salvation and rescue because of who God is and who they are. The others Jesus refers to here, He doesn't call them the reprobate, but that's who He's, he's talking about. The others, the others it has not been given to them to see. Their eyes and their ears work perfectly. But they can't see the spiritual matters. The things of God, the things that would soften your heart are not visible to them. You know, that's the main reason why when we look at the world, remember, we don't know who the elect are. Now, in terms of evangelism and missions, we don't, we evangelize we admit, we, to everybody because we don't know who the elect are. But there's freedom in that because when we do it, we know that God's going to save His people. He's called us, though, to preach the gospel to everybody because we don't know who that is. And we remember because God is the one who does the drawing, He is the one who makes people alive. It doesn't rest in your clever ways and your methodology. You don't have to have some fancy words to say. You don't have to have some elaborate program. You don't have to know all the right words. You can stumble over everything. You can totally mess it up. Guess what? God can use it. God's looking for obedient people. Obedient. Go tell them about me. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm doing everything else. So we pray for the lost. Jesus goes on. Verses 14 and 15. He says, And in them, he's talking about now, the others, some can hear, some can't. The others can't. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears of hard of hearing and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, 
lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Now, in other areas of Matthew, he connects the dots for us between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here, Jesus does it for us. So Jesus is quoting, um, well, he is referring to Isaiah. And so what Jesus is trying to tell us here, I use parables because some are elect and some are not. Now, the prophecy of Isaiah he said that he refers to here. Let's, this is, can be found in Isaiah chapter 6. Okay, and this prophecy here is actually the words of, the, uh, of God speaking to Isaiah, but it comes right after Isaiah has seen the mighty vision of the throne room of God. You're, y'all are familiar uh, with that chapter. If you're not, go back and reread it because it's a wonderful chapter. You remember, so Isaiah is taken up. He, sings the, he sees the throne room of the Father in heaven. He is what? What does he say? He said, I am undone. <coughs> he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live, I live among a people of unclean lips. That's his response. And that, okay, so back to what we started with election. God's holy, man is not. That's your response. I am undone. I am unclean. When I'm faced with God, when I see God for who God is, I am undone. Because I immediately know I am unclean. I am not holy. He is holy. So Isaiah's confession, I am undone. What happens then next? You remember? The angel brings us, he takes a coal with tongs from the altar on the throne room of God. And he brings the coal and touches his lips. Making him clean. Cleansed. Lips are clean. Man. Isn't that beautiful? Takes a, takes a, takes a coal from the throne room of God, from the very altar. Takes it with tongs. The, the angel can't even pick it up. He's got to get it with tongs. And it touches Isaiah's lips. It makes him clean. And then what did God say? Whom shall I send? Hmm. Isaiah responded, Here am I, Lord, send me. God immediately commissions Isaiah with these words that Jesus was quoting. God said, Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. That is the commission. That is God's commission or charge to Isaiah. How do you like to hear that? If we're, we're not Isaiah, but imagine you were being commissioned to go into some form of ministry. And this was your charge for ministry. That's some kind of charge, isn't it? See, Isaiah was being sent as a prophet of judgment. 
And this is the message he had to deliver. I know uh, I had at one point the distinct privilege to participate as a member of a commission to install uh, a teaching elder at his church. And what a privilege that was to participate and be a part of that group. You know, Presbytery sets a commission. They go install pastors at churches, right? Which will be happening here in the coming months. But but that charge was, it was a really happy day, right? Your man's being called to minister and pastor a church. And, his church, and, we, and we did it, and it was wonderful. It was a celebration. It was really a good day. But imagine if this was the charge that God had given you. See, God had had enough of hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. who refused to listen to truth. And so the prophet Isaiah was being sent as a prophet of judgment. They were about to incur the judgment of the Lord, a holy God. What does Isaiah ask? What's his question after hearing that charge? It's an honest question. How long, O Lord? Do you see Isaiah's heart for the people here? What a wonderful heart of the prophet Isaiah. Lord, how long? I'm going to do what I'm going to say what you're telling me to say. Lord, but how long? How long is it going to be this way? How long are you going to judge the people? Isaiah didn't disagree with them. He didn't say, no, you got it all wrong, God. No, they were they were going to hear. I need to go preach the message and the gospel. God didn't, Isaiah didn't argue with him, did he? What, he just seen the throne room. There's no place to argue. So Isaiah says, how, Lord, how long? How long do I have to? This is a tough message. This is a hard thing to tell. I'm going to do it, but how long? And God answered, he says, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it's cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. So Isaiah's mission was to a people who were not going to listen. They have not been listening. Stubborn, stiff-necked people, a message of judgment. But what does God say? I've got a tenth. The stump will remain. So... Who's who's keeping the tenth out for himself? God is. God the Father is keeping a remnant, a tenth. So it looks bad, Isaiah. I know it looks bad, Isaiah. That's kind of what he's saying. I know this looks really bad. But I'm keeping a remnant. They're my people. And they will be like the stump. And the Holy Seed will be its stump is what God says. 
Who was in charge of the church? Who has been keeping his people together since the beginning? God the Father has, isn't it? Who's building the church? Jesus Christ is building the church. You and I are just pieces of it. Right? We're not in charge of building the church. We're not in charge of adding our number here at this church. We're not in charge of growing the church. That's God's business. God does that. God takes the church down to a stump. You look around today, 21st century America, yeah, maybe 10%. I like that term. I don't have any data to back that up, but you know what? It's probably pretty close. Church attendance is way down in America these days. If you look nationally, nationwide, look at the statistics. Church attendance is way down. It's really optional for a lot of people now. But what do we know about what God's doing with the church? God always has a remnant. God always keeps a remnant that are His. There's a lot of rest in that. A lot of peace in that because it's very possible that the days of judgment could be upon us. And this could be a message God could have a message of judgment. I think He probably is uh, in our world. And it's coming. But we don't lose hope. God keeps for Himself a remnant. And that's an amazing piece of it. Amazing promise of God that we can find encouragement. Verses 16-17. through 17. Jesus continues. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your, he- and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Who's Jesus talking about here? Who are these... Well, he names one the prophets, right? Righteous men, men of old. Think of all the Old Testament heroes. Think of the heroes of the faith who were promised the day of the Christ. Who said it will happen, but never saw it. Think Think of Abraham. Remember back in Abraham and, uh, and and back in Genesis? It says, when, when God revealed Himself to Abraham, it says, and then he, Abraham, believed the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed that God was going to save His people and that God was going to send the Messiah. Now, Abraham didn't believe that on his own. God allowed him to believe that. God revealed Himself in a very special way. So, Jesus uses parables in two ways. The parables are used to conceal truth from the reprobate, from those who cannot hear. Truth is concealed. But for the elect, 
They are used to reveal truth. And the elect are the ones that are listening. They have ears to hear. So the question, as we consider parables, are you listening to Jesus today? Are you really listening? I don't mean, you know, you're listening from some voice out of heaven. You know, are you waiting for something that we talked about that in earlier lessons about asking for a sign? You know how we do that? God, just show me a sign. You know, write it for me in the stars. You know, all these things, you know, that God usually doesn't answer us that way. Are you listening to what His Word has to say. You meditate on who God is and then who you are. And then as you realize that you are unclean, because you're uh, arguably everybody in here is a believer. I don't uh, pretend to um, assume all that. Maybe not. But assuming I'm talking to believers here, you have been made clean. Haven't you? But you still struggle with sin in your life. So, is is that heart of Isaiah? Do you see that in your own heart when you look at God? Lord, I'm unclean. I'm a man. I am undone when it comes to how good you are. Because that should always be with us. Remember, this salvation is not just a one. I mean, salvation is a one-time thing, but it's a process. The way God is sanctifying us throughout this whole life. I'm always struggling with the old man, the flesh. Lord, I'm undone. I consider His graciousness and what I deserve. Father, I'm undone. Are you listening? Or are you listening to the world? Because if you're not listening to Jesus, you're listening to the world. You ever heard that phrase, just go with the flow? Folks, you go with the flow and the flow will drown you. Only dead fish swim with the stream, with the current. Okay? Only dead fish swim with the current. I encourage you today to pray about this. I don't know what's going on individually in each one of your lives. Lord knows I've got plenty of things going on. And I have to always ask myself, Lord, am I listening to you or am I listening to the world? Is it... That conventional wisdom, you know, the problem with conventional wisdom is almost never wise, you know. It's, it almost never works. We live amongst the hard-hearted people, a stiff-necked people. Be very careful of who you listen to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this lesson. Father, we thank You for the doctrine of election. Father, because we know without it, we would not be saved. Father, we know that there is not one good thing in and of ourselves, Father, that would allow us to choose You. (coughs) Father, our hearts are desperately wicked.
Father, thank you for giving us in Jesus, giving us new hearts and giving us new minds that we can hear your things. Father, we ask that you speak to us clearly. Father, we know you have spoken to us in your word and through the Son. Father, give us those ears. Remind us always what it means to be listening to you and not listening to the world. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.